Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the concept of accelerationism, which can be defined as a process or practice that seeks to accelerate the occurrence of an eventual outcome. In your everyday life, removing a Band-Aid illustrates this choice. An accelerationist would rip the Band-Aid off. In the political context, accelerationism can be applied across the spectrum of ideology to serve different objectives. Regardless of ideology, accelerationism seeks to destabilize an existing system by creating change more quickly than would otherwise be expected. The most often discussed application of accelerationism is this idea that voting for Trump in 2020 to spite the Dems and make them repent for their sins of moving right will somehow have some better outcome eventually doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't think anybody advocating for this point of view can articulate how the better outcome arises, and that's sort of the whole problem with this line of thinking. I just want to jump in here quick about the definition of accelerationism. So if you jump on Wikipedia, it'll say something about trying to end capitalism, and and that's just sort of like a red herring argument. Accelerationism is for any type of event that we're trying to move forward faster, and it's through normally through artificial means. And so if you take the idea of voting for Trump, then you vote for Trump because eventually systems around you will collapse, and that's the better outcome. This notion of a collapse is sort of a key aspect of accelerationism, but it's not dissimilar from the ethical system of utilitarianism. Utilitarianism seeks to optimize the amount of utility from any particular act. Accelerationism tries to optimize this outcome, and it tries to do so very quickly without regard to any potential negative consequences while the acceleration is ongoing. Yeah, you're trying to maximize the utility for everybody in the world by, you know, minimizing some of the pain points. And there's things like, uh, you know, do you tear down a house to put in a freeway because more people can go buy it, that kind of thing. So another example of utilitarianism that we use every day is speed limits. Why are speed limits set at different rates depending on where we're at? And that is to maximize the outcome by minimizing the risk in that area. And so residential is 25 to 30 miles an hour, depending on where you're at, you'll have County roads at maybe 35 to 45, 55 miles an hour. You have the highway and freeway systems at the 70 miles an hour. And that's generally due to maximize the outcome for the people driving. So commuting on the highway or getting somewhere, you can go faster. And the risk is limited to just people on the highway. Yeah, and kind of the, the key point about the speed limit example is there are negative outcomes. People die in car accidents. And this kind of holds true for voting as well, is what sort of harm or damage do we incur by voting for one person versus the other versus what is the expected positive outcome? One of the tools, and we're going to talk about accelerationism as a tool. People think of it as an ideology. It is not. It is a tool that is used by both sides of the aisle, by every politician, by every corporation, by every individual. Accelerationism is a tool in some section, small or large, depending on what you're doing. So we talk in the terms of tools that we use uh, in the United States, U.S. US does it 24-7, that's the idea of sanctions, that you can accelerate regime change or destabilize an area by introducing economic or military sanctions on either the entire country, on their economy, on individuals, right? You see things like where we sanction Russia with key military leaders to prevent them from moving money in and out of the country. We see it on the entire regime like Iran or Venezuela in order to, I guess, encourage the citizens to rise up against their current government and overthrow it, which is a fallacy that never happens, but it is a way that they can accelerate the demise of this country. And we see the pain and suffering that happens continuously when those tools are used. 
but it's a tool. The U.S. imperial forces have determined that if we can destabilize Iran, we can bring about change more quickly in Iran than if we were to go about, I don't know, through some other nominal channel like the U.N. So one of the examples is, is Iraq, right? We, we sanctioned Iraq for years and we destabilized their economy. We limited their military growth. We had no fly zones. We basically starved their children and starved the people and malnourished them. We didn't allow them to have money, so they couldn't buy weapons. And then when the United States went in to illegally occupy their country and murder their people, it was much easier for the U.S. to, I guess, kill civilians because there was no way for them to protect themselves. And you see this as a tool set, again, for destabilization. So it's a long-term route. It's the same thing as accelerationism in politics. Who do you vote for? It's The question is, is how do you do regime change? It's a long-term goal, and it's a tool that you use you know, at any time you want to accelerate the downfall of whatever country or accelerate the, the change of anything. So regime change is uh, kind of a foreign policy concept of accelerationism that's kind of tied to sanctions, but ultimately kind of the end all be all accelerationist act is war where you engage forces, you make basically battles so terrible that you want to force change immediately. So you want to make change immediately in war, you drop a nuclear weapon on civilians in Japan. You instantly get changed because there's no way to back out from that one. Some things that are not so overt, and we talked about in the last episode, which is the killing of the post office by passing things like, you know, the 50-year payout requirement or pay-in requirement, right? That is an acceleration tactic because there may have been a bleeding of the post office, which cost taxpayers more and more money, and over time it would have changed. But by just forcing them to basically always be in bankruptcy you're accelerating the demise of, of the post office or an institution. And both parties are engaging in this. So both parties are participating in the accelerationist kind of tool set. And you're seeing this happening with Social Security as well. Social Security has been around for like 85 years. It's probably America's best existing government institution that provides a basic safety net for senior citizens. The program is funded through a payroll tax. The existence of Social Security prohibits private corporations from making money or exploiting senior citizens. So naturally, there's an incentive to cripple the program. And so what better way to get rid of it by defunding it? And the only way to really truly defund it is to start using tools in which nobody actually knows exists. And one of those tools to accelerate the demise is caps on contributions, which you make so much money, $250,000 a year, you don't have to pay any more Social Security cap. Or Social Security gets capped. So the Social Security cap allows doctors and lawyers to basically earn non-tax income after they make $250,000 a year. Where a worker who has to go in every single day, punch the clock, must pay in their percentage, no matter how much money they make. And it's unfair that different people that are earning income have to pay different amounts of tax. That's one way that Social Security is being hurt. The other is payroll tax holidays. So Trump floated the idea that we would do a payroll tax holiday. You don't have to pay in any type of worker tax, which is Social Security, Medicaid. But that means that during this holiday time, that six weeks or six months, whatever the holiday is, we're not funding Social Security. And that money will never be replaced. And that's another way to accelerate the demise of Social Security because now it's no longer funded. And the immediate goal doesn't necessarily have to be a complete defunding. But if the economic calculus is modified, it provides uh, kind of a messaging front to allow different funding sources to be explored or benefits rolled back or age limits decreased or increased uh, under the premise of eventually 
eliminating the benefit from future generations. Again, both parties are doing this. Neither party, Democrats or Republicans, champion Social Security. In fact, what they do is they just limp it along. And they try to kill it in different stages. And they try to kill it by, again, decreasing the amount of tax people have to pay on it, borrowing against it, not updating it for inflation, not making sure that the retirees are actually taking benefit from it. Uh, there's a lot happening here. And especially, you know, the Democratic Party continuously does these things where they just increase the age that you can begin to get payout instead of actually funding it correctly. Whereas Republican Party just will overtly just try to kill it. But each one of these is an acceleration tactic to try to reduce this institution from what it should be, which is a full funded, fully fledged Social Security or pension plan for the worker. And you see a little bit of the games uh, tied into Social Security with kind of the Medicare donut hole and when are you eligible and when are you not? And do you have to get supplemental insurance and doing means testing on all these various different programs really just disincentivizes certain population groups from caring. And that's also by design. We're attempting to accelerate the demise of these programs by basically removing them from being accessible. All right, so this ties into healthcare. And one of the, the main premises behind healthcare, which is often viewed as kind of one of the most disastrous kind of public policies that the U.S. has, is the system continues to get so worse that somebody will have to fix it. But it's been getting worse for 20, 30 years, and all that's happened is that corporations have made more and more money. So in what scenario does a destabilization of healthcare actually benefit anybody? And in this case, as an accelerationist in this point of view for healthcare, you're tempted to say, allow somebody to come in power who's going to destabilize it more, who's going to roll back all the changes that Affordable Care Act did, to roll back all of the policies in the 90s that, you know, the, the chip that helped out, uh, I guess, the poor children of the world or the United States, to roll back all the different neoliberal policies we have to the point where nobody can afford insurance and only the rich can have it. And then you'll have to replace it with something else. And that's what the same idea of sanctions are, is that you would destabilize an institution that people rely on to the point where it breaks and then it has to be fixed. The question, though, is will you have people in power that are going to fix it or hurt you more? Sanctions in healthcare are two sort of different objectives or examples of accelerationism. Sanctions are intended to destroy something. You want to destabilize a country uh, into having a different worldview or taking different actions or stopping some action or changing their behavior. In the healthcare example, it's attempting to bring about some concept of positive change by creating a situation so terrible that it can't get worse and that somehow inspires action. So this idea of making healthcare so bad that it suddenly gets good doesn't really make any sense. Healthcare is definitely an example of hurting more. Things could always be worse. Whereas sanctions intend to make the situation worse on purpose. And for the record, we're not advocating for the usage of accelerationism in either one of these contexts, but they both serve to illustrate the key behavior of accelerationism. If you're going to engage in an accelerationist point of view, you have to have a replacement plan. You cannot go into this to just tear something down, because in the event that you tear something down, what will rise in its place? This is a situation with healthcare, but perhaps less of a concern with sanctions from the imperialist point of view. And if we're being honest, it's a lot harder to tear something down than to build something up. 
This can lead to inaction or ineffectiveness from groups with good intentions that are resource limited, but still feel compelled to act without the ability to execute a complete plan. Initiating a teardown before the buildup is feasible can sometimes create more damage and can almost always be weaponized. One of the issues that we have is, is on the left, and come from that point of view, are groups that will settle for the status quo except, instead of trying to actually make change. One of the examples that we talk about status quo is the Worker Fanny Party picking Warren, even though they're supposed to be a leftist group. Yeah, that's a snake. That's a snake. <laughs> yeah, a snake fighting for us, right? Warren is a good example of a, a campaign vessel that was used to sort of co-opt the messaging that sought to get all these so-called progressives, which is a terrible word, uh, together to ruin Bernie's campaign. It's an example of the DNC attempting to tear something down, which was Bernie's campaign. And they had a plan to build something in its place, which was basically anything but Bernie's campaign. And it's an example of them implementing accelerationism and actually having a plan to fill the void. Because if there is no plan to fill the void, whoever has power fills the void. And in this case, the Dems did have power, so there was a little bit less risk here. But they pushed forward with an accelerationist concept of we're going to destroy the left, as in destroying Bernie's party. The Dems move forward by having Warren represent this leftist point of view, but it was so poorly done that all it did was sort of alienate and destroy the leftist coalition by splitting the vote. They sought to do that, and they succeeded, and they had a plan. So once the vote was fractured, everybody would vote for Biden. Yes, that's actually true. So once, you know, Sanders is no longer viable, um, the status quo politician came to the door and uh, became the nominee. nominee. Uh, the issue here is that you had Warren was basically co-opted. Uh, whether good or bad, she decided that it was more important for her to follow lockstep with the DNC than it was for her to ally herself with Bernie. Now, we know Warren wasn't a real leftist because she was Republican for her basically her entire life. She fought and championed neoliberal policy. She taught it at Harvard, right? Banking reform, which isn't actually ending banking. It's just banking reform. She didn't fight hard enough to actually end any of the ill practices that the banks created. She just formed a board, the Consumer Financial Protection Board or agency, whatever that is, to just basically watch over individuals screwing over the worker. And in the end, she came out as touted by the news as a, as a progressive champion. And that's what split the last because you had people who just thought she was something that she really wasn't. So we've given you examples of what accelerationism is. And, and this episode is just trying to give you the idea of what it means to not only accelerate something, but also the need to, re, to basically tear down and replace. But to, to give you just like, you know, one more wrap up of all this is accelerationism attempts to make change as fast as it can to to change the institution by doing things that no, it wouldn't normally happen naturally. And that's basically a very simple definition of what's going to happen under accelerationism. So we know accelerationism is a tool. We know it's not just about capital. We know we, people use it day in, day out. It is, it is a tool used by politicians. It's used everywhere. Uh, its name may be slightly changed, but it is accelerationism. It, again, is a, attempting to do something that's not going to naturally happen. And so um, it's application of game theory. You try to seize as much power as you can. You try to what you're trying to do is create an instability that allows you to come in during that power vacuum and create the change that you want. And it happens 
all the time and it's used by both major parties and you have to keep your eye out for it because it is happening to every major institution that we have here in the United States. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.